I have to come off mute here. Hello, and welcome to the Dismantle Racism Show, where our goal is to create a world where racial equity is the norm. We are here to help you to uncover and to find ways to dismantle and eradicate racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC, but today I actually have a guest host archivist, historian Angela Todd, and we are going to continue the conversation that I started last week with the Reverend Dr. Carlton Smith. This month, we're really talking about what made me who I am. We're all interconnected, as you know, and so it takes the learning from the people who came before us, the people who are with us right now for us to stand up and to be our greatest selves. So on last week's show, I talked about the women, because this is also Women History Month. There are lots of men who've been influential in my life, but I'm specifically highlighting women. And we talked about the women from history who've impacted my life. People like Fannie Lou Hamer, Sojourner Truth, Harriet Tubman, Diane Nash, and the names go on and on and on. Even folks that I didn't really know about and hear about, like Ella Baker or Joanne Robinson, those were people that I didn't hear about as much. But what they did mattered. And so that's why we're highlighting them. And that's why I understand that even though I didn't know them personally, their work has made me into the woman that I am today. On the show today, I've invited my guest host here because she believes in restoring history, bringing out the history of women. So we're going to go a little bit more uh, inward to talk about who are some of the people from my community, and that community extends beyond the community that I grew up in, but who are some of the people who impacted my life and what did I learn from them? And then next week, Angela will be back, and hopefully she will be back with my daughter, and we're going to hone it in and talk a little bit more about my family. My hope is that as I talk about the people who've inspired me, as I talk about my family, as I talk about my community, you will reach back and look at the legacy that you are carrying and bringing forth and understanding again how what you do matters. And also understanding to appreciate the women who came before. The people who came before were standing on their shoulders. So we owe it to them. And we owe it to ourselves and to the next generation to create a better world. We're going to get started. And as always, I want to invite you into a time of meditation. I actually really need it this morning. So I am inviting you to, to just quiet your spirit, close your eyes if you would, and just begin to breathe. Breathing in and out. Centering yourself. Connecting with your sacred source connecting with the essence of who you are. I want to invite you to breathe in and out. And just for a moment, remember the ancestors. Remember the women who impacted your life. The women who sacrificed for you. The women who sought to change the status quo. The women who said it's not okay to be silent. Or the women who moved mountains even in their silence. The ones who worked behind the scenes that we don't even know their names. They were thinking of us. So just breathe in and out and give gratitude for them. Connect with the women who are present in your lifeline. Connect with the women who are present in your daily life. Whether they're mothers or grandmothers or aunties, 
sisters, nieces, friends, colleagues. Connect with the women who adore you and you adore them. Breathe in and out and just say thank you. Thank you for the ways in which you have poured into my life, even when I didn't know it was happening. Breathe in, breathe out, knowing that you are a part of divine wisdom and you are a part of that circle of women, no matter how you identify or show up in life. You're connected with all those women. They support you. They love you. And they're watching out for you, even if they're in another realm. So breathe in and out, just being grateful and feeling their spirits and feeling their love. And I wanna invite you to take a deep breath in and sigh it out very slowly, recognizing that the power of one contributes to the power of community. One more deep breath in, sigh it out. And when you're ready, open your eyes and let's begin. Well, I am going to turn it over to my guest host, Angela Todd, and I'm going to invite her to share about herself and then take it away. Angela, thank you so much for being on the show and for agreeing to be the guest host today. Carolyn, it's always such a pleasure to be with you in person or on Zoom. <laughs> I've missed, um, we used to get together a lot in person and I've missed that over the last couple of years. So thank you for having me. I am an archivist and a historian focused on adding the records of women and historically excluded populations to the dominant archives that from which history are written. So, you know, women make up half the country, but women are not half of history. But to get there, women have to be half of the archives first. So I'm on a mission to get women to insist on their own inclusion. And of course, for women of color, it's even more urgent and more fragile. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm delighted to be here and to jump in with you. Yes. So I have some interview questions that we talked about yesterday. Mm -hmm. um so i listened to your last podcast and i was so shocked that you did not know about ida b wells having grown up in the same town with her and i want to start with her because that seems like a link between the sort of big names in black women's history and your community right so you grew up in the town where she was from and i wonder if you could just say a few words about what impact you think she had on the town, the women in the town? I mean, she, I don't know that how many generations before, like your mother and grandmother, she was. And I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit. So it's really hard to speak to it, Angela. And I'm, and I'm, I think I'm shocked that you're shocked that I didn't know about her because that's what, that's what white supremacy is, right? Is is keeping us excluded from history and also that's what patriarchy is right so uh i don't remember my parents having conversations about ida b wells wow. i think i learned about ida b wells you know maybe in college i think i'm yeah, not really sure when i learned yeah. about her but um <clears throat> it wasn't in the history books but what i know about ida b wells is this she was a pioneer 
in her in in the sense that this was a woman who lost her mother and father very early on in life and was committed to raising her younger siblings and then she started reporting about lynchings right and that was at the age of like 26 when she started her newspaper i mean my goodness that was really young and she put her life out there on the line for this and if i'm not mistaken she was also one of the founders of the NAACP if i'm not mistaken so i can't speak to the impact that she had on the lives of the women there and i don't know that she had a direct impact on me because i didn't know about her but indirectly here was her energy energy and spirit being mm -hmm. in the same town so i have to think especially energetically that i got something from this powerful woman who said no I'm, this is this is not right. I mean, this is a woman who, when she left Mississippi and moved to Memphis, Tennessee, and was writing about these things, she had to eventually flee to Chicago because they burned down her uh, newspaper. Phenomenal. Now, here's what I will say. There's an Ida B. Wells Museum in Mississippi now. So things have changed because there were some people who came along since that time and said, wait a minute. This is a woman that we ought to know. And so I'm so excited that there's a museum there. And, and actually, um, um, what, are, what do they call the curator of the museum or whatever the name? There's another, yeah. there's, a, there's another proper name for it. But she actually said that we could put a, a room there to my mother in that library so uh i know that would make you happy because you're as a historian so that is something that we are definitely needing to to work on um yeah. there is we're going to well. talk more about that next week yes yeah, next week that's that, next week. <laughs> you have questions and i'm sure you'll tell me lots that you think should go uh yeah. in here as well and so i i just want to say that that's a part of the uncovering. That's why we need to talk about women's history. That's why we need to talk about black history so that we know about people like Ida B. Wells. I don't even know if I knew about Fannie Lou Hamer because here's the thing. When I asked my parents, and I know we're gonna talk about them next week, but when I asked my parents in later years about racism, I think the wounds were so deep yeah. that it wasn't something that they wanted to talk about very much. And they also didn't want us to get stuck on racism because right. they never, ever said that we were limited by anything. Even when they said, you know, my parents, um, you know, would refer to white people as yes or no. So for a pretty good time, a, a period in my life, you know, up until I would think I was about 12, I think that's what's in my memory. And um, and I remember when my brother said, <laughs> why do you do that? And they said, well, that's just the way things are. But then I noticed they stopped, right? So even with noticing that that's the way things are, they didn't want us to believe that we had to walk that path, right? So um, <clears throat> I, I wanna I wanna pause because I don't wanna go into too much about my family and the ways in which they raised us because I wanna be respectful that we wanna do it next week, and so right. uh, I'll stop for now. So what I wanna say as an archivist about Ida B. Wells reportage of the lynchings is we see in her story the power of her stories and her witness and her uh, the knowledge that she saved and printed and reified by printing it right and so she has saved a portion of history that may have just been swept away and we all have the power to save our little slice Mm -hmm. that's, I think a really important thing that I hope your readers can take away as we talk about the women in your community. And before this interview, we talked about what we're going to do. And I said at the end, hmm, you know, those interviews need to go in your archive, Carolyn. <laughs> yes. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But what you're doing is an amazing historical feat. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. So let's move from Ida B. Wells to your um, church and neighborhood, because we talked a little about, well, we've talked a lot over the years about Mississippi and the church and the people that raised you. And one of the people that we talked about discussing here today was Miss Maddie Wilson. And I wonder if you'd talk to yes. us about her. 
Well, I will, but it looks like we have to take a break. And so I will talk about Miss Maddie as soon as we come back from the break. My guest host today is archivist Angela Todd, and I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. We'll be right back. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. We are back with the Dismantle Racism Show. So before the break, Angela, you asked me about Miss Maddie Wilson. And it's interesting when you're growing up, perhaps you don't always understand how people are impacting your life. But as you grow older and you can look back on who were some of the people that that nurtured you and helped you to go spiritually, I think about people like Miss Maddie. So Miss Maddie died at 101 years old. And I write about her in my first book, Sacred Sacred Intelligence, The Essence of Sacred, Selfish, and Shared Relationships. And the reason why I wrote about her is because I was talking about the people who are a bomb for our souls. And who reach us even when we they may not even realize their impact. So when I was younger, Miss Maddie was actually a member of another church. But during the summers, the churches would come together and have vacation Bible school. And she was my teacher. Now she never called my name right because I don't know why. So my middle name is Lisa. <laughs> And that's the name that home folks call me. So if someone calls me Lisa, I know it's someone who knows me from home, right? So I just shared a little bit with my audience there. So for whatever reason, she and another older gentleman in the neighborhood, they would all always call me Letha. And it never bothered me because it actually felt a little endearing. And I understood it wasn't that they didn't know who I was. They absolutely did. And so Miss Maddie Wilson, when she taught us vacation Bible school, in my mind, I can just, I, I feel like I can remember her hugging us. And I don't know if she did or didn't, but I just feel it in my mind. Even mm. as I'm talking, I feel like the essence of her spirit here with me. And the ways in which she smiled when she talked, she also encouraged us and she just loved on us and made us feel important. She didn't make us 
think that we were less than in the way that she taught us. It was all about loving us enough to want the very best for us and to have us to aspire to the best in life. And so that's why I talk about her. I just remember her being this great influence. And and of course, there were lots of others, but she just stands out to me. I adore her. I know she's dead and gone, but I just adore her. I can hear it in your voice. That's so wonderful. So we talked a little about her and you called her one of the church mothers, but I hear you say that she wasn't part of your church. And I wonder if you could talk about the difference between, or if there is any church and community. So we kept kind of blurring into like your church community, your neighborhood. Say a little bit. I think think it is blurred. I absolutely Mm. think it's blurred because, because to be honest, We often think of church mothers as the older women who are in the church that uh, we, of course, have this great respect for who are always enclosing us in love and mothering us, whether it's tough love or, or otherwise. And in my community... I I would like to say that actually there wasn't a difference because all those older women who were in the community, they were either a part of our church or a part of the neighboring church. And we went to one another's churches so much that it does blur the lines. And it, it was never about a distinction. There was no us and them. We were all one community. And that I think we are lacking to this day. I mean, they lived down the road a piece from us, but if something happened, you were getting in your car or walking down the road. And I do mean the road. I don't mean a highway down the road to go check on them. Like I can remember when a tornado uh, hit our community and actually Miss Maddie's house. uh, I think she and her husband lived in a trailer. It was demolished. You go out and you check on people. And so because our community was also one of faith, the community itself, whether people attended church or not, and most people did, we knew about faith in God, which is why for me, all of my work centers on the sacred, because I don't know anything differently than having faith. And so those women in my community and in my church, they taught me what it was to have faith. In the midst of troubling times, they taught me what it was like to love in the midst of troubling times. They taught me what it was like to look out for one another in the midst of troubling times. So there is no separation for us. You know, I think in my community, it's different than a big city where people are coming to a church from all over the city. No, we're all coming to church and the church is right down the road from your church, right? (laughs) Uh, and even when it wasn't right down the road, it was still because because quite frankly, Angela, I grew up where we visited multiple churches. And that I was just going to say, you told me if I read a poem at my church the next week, I'd be reading that poem at the exa- next church. Exactly. Because we would have Children's Day or Mother's Day. You always had to do something as a child. And that was the thing about church. So if we want to talk about the church community, that's where I learned to speak, Angela. That's where I learned, you know, in addition to my father as well, teaching me that my voice was important. Do you know that? (laughs) So I ran for Miss Holly High, right? My school's, uh, you know, so I ran I and did not I did know that. Oh, yes. So you're learning a lot about me. So I did, <laughs> James Weldon Johnson wrote a series of seven sermons called God's Trombone. So I ran by doing a dramatization of Go Down Death. Got a standing ovation for it. So of course, my mother said, you have to do it at church. So I did it at church. And I remember my cousin Ethel coming up saying, when did you become ordained? So when I applied to Yale, well, actually when I applied to Harvard Seminary, because I went to Harvard Seminary before going to Yale, that was a part of my essay, going back to my community mm-hmm. and understanding that my cousin was speaking a life calling over me, even though she may not have known it at the time. To say, when did you become ordained? I wasn't even thinking. All I was doing was being dramatic 
it suits you. <laughs> but, she, but she saw something. And that is the importance of us going back, looking at our stories, looking at the people who helped to shape us. Sometimes all they're doing is planting a seed. And that seed may not sprout to years later. Those are the women that I grew up with in my neighborhood. Those were the women who, who taught me to act as if you are more than what you are in this moment. The world cannot tell you who you are. You have to know it for yourself. And so, Angela, that's the blurring of the church and the community. There's no separation for me. I'm struck, too, by the way you're talking about how there was a children's day. The children were the center of the church in the neighborhood or at least occasionally in the church. And I wonder if you could flip it and talk about the, how the older generation or the elderly showed up in the church and neighborhood and what kind of impact and power they had mm, in those really? spaces. So really, they showed up in the ways in which they modeled to us how we had to be and to behave. So I will tell you, they showed up in the ways in which teaching us how to pray, Angela. Hmm, say a little more about that. So, now, okay, I'm going to shift to a man just for a second because I adore okay. him too. And his name uh, uh, is Mr. Melvin Ford. And he died, I think it was like 102 or 103. Wow. And I can remember when I went to Yale they were asking us about who were the people who've, who have impacted us spiritually. And he was one of them, came to mind instantly because I could recall how he prayed in church. And the fact of the matter is when he prayed in church, he would, he would call God's name and then he would pause for a really long time. And I would be thinking, can you just hurry up and just pray? But now as an adult, I know now that he was waiting to listen to that powerful voice of the sacred speaking. And then I can think about the women who prayed in church, the women who sang in church, the women who embraced me in church. Mm -hmm. Those women, they were encouragers, supporters. They were uplifters. If we said a piece in church, and even if we didn't do a good job, they would be like, that's great, baby. That's great. That's great. Give her, give her a hand clap. They were going to encourage you to get up there. And even if all you could do was say your name, get up there, be seen. That's incredible. That's incredible. And so I believe that they showed us what love is in terms of, again, just showing us how to be concerned for one another. In the ways in which they showed up in the community when something happened, in the ways in which they spread the word, if something was, and we didn't have telephones until, like, I would say we didn't have a phone in our house until, like, mid-70s, right? We do have to go to break in just I a know, minute. We do. I don't want to get off this topic. Um, and so when we come back, we're going to keep talking about... Instead of phones, you had feet, I guess, and you'd run down. That's right. And the word would spread just like that. But yes, we have to take a break. We'll be right back. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. 
Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Okay, welcome back to Dismantling Racism. I'm your guest host, Angela Todd. I'm an archivist and historian specializing in the history of women and historically excluded populations. Um, Terrilyn, when we cut for the break, we were talking about you didn't have phones. And so if something happened, people would run to each other's houses and talk about what was going on, how the community was going to handle it. And we've talked about the women in your community and how they taught you how to pray and love and recognize each other. And I want to shift a little bit to your school situations and your school experiences. And I want to bridge it by asking how the community felt about school. Now, I've interviewed your mom, and I know how she felt about school. But talk about Miss Maddie and the other women in the or the other people in your neighborhood and Mm. what you knew from them. Well, what I knew was that education uh, is important, right? Um, So my older siblings can tell a story about one-room schoolhouses that I can't tell in the beginning, right? They didn't they didn't necessarily complete high school in that, but I can grow. When I grew up, I remember that we actually had the old one-room schoolhouse still there, Mm -hmm. so I could see it. It wasn't torn down. And I could remember the teachers in my uh, neighborhood, like Miss Alberta Porter, and those people who taught in neighboring schools. So education was really important. And I think when they would have us to stand up and to do a piece of poetry or a poem in church, you mean? In church I mm-hmm. think that that was a way of educating us you know, still teaching us to keep rising. And one thing just to add in terms of even church, we had to learn how to, um, when we had Sunday school, sometimes we were the secretary of the Sunday school, the children, secretary of Sunday school, right? We might help count the money Mm -hmm. for Sunday school. So they're teaching us how to be and how how to behave. We might be a junior officer in the church. So these people were teaching us how valuable school and schooling was. So when I grew up, I began school at a segregated school. And my mom and dad had to make the decision to send us to to a school that was predominantly white. And I never asked them about that. And so unfortunately, I don't have that history, but I could probably ask some of my older siblings if they remember any of the conversation around desegregation, because it wasn't always the best thing for everyone, right? But I remember they, along with my uncle and aunt and other, a few other people in the neighborhood, making a decision to send us to the other school. And it wasn't because the black school wasn't valued. It was, but they, I, I think they had other reasons for deciding. Now, ultimately I went back to a predominantly black high school, but I spent my elementary school years. Um, so I know that was second grade. And then mm-hmm. when we were talking, you said that your third grade teacher, Miss Ray, mm-hmm. made a big yes. impact on you. So again, I think it's important for us to look back at all the women who impacted us. So I, in second grade, went to a predominantly white school. So I I changed schools 
And for the life of me, I can't remember my second grade teacher's name, but I think she was related to Miss Ray. Actually, they might have been they might have been sister-in-law. So her name could have been Miss Ray, too, for all I remember. But I but but the point that I wanted to make about my third grade teacher was this. She saw me for who I was at the time. So those of us who worked in the education system, we know about tracking. Right. And we also know about uh, children of color, particularly Black children, being seen as less than and not so being. For, for your listeners, say just a few words about tracking, if you would. So tracking is really about when you put some students mm -hmm. in AP, some students in honors, some students in just reg regular ed, and then other students in special ed. And then you keep those students there, right? You, you, you no, just no. decide. This is where they're going to be the rest of their their lives, yeah. unless they advocate like my daughter did. And, I'll, and I, I want to just digress for a minute. My daughter, <laughs> you know, she I, I came home from a trip one day. She was eighth grade, I think seventh or eighth grade. I came home from a trip and she says, Mom, I moved up in math. And uh, I said, well, what do you mean? She said, because I was in the math class and I looked around and I and I realized I, I didn't need to be in this math class. I was way smarter. She's, she said in a different way than I'm saying it now. Being like, right. She's like, I was way smarter than these kids. And I need, and she went to her math teacher and she told her, I need to be moved up. And she was moved up to honors class. And then eventually she was taking AP courses. So I love that she advocated for herself, but that's not always the case. And so when I got to this uh, school, in second grade, I, I think I was just in a regular reading group. And then when I got to Ms. Ray's class, I was in a regular reading group. And I will never forget the day when she took some students so she could help them to read. And then she placed me in a group and she said, Lisa, I want you to listen to the other students read and correct them when they make a mistake and blah, 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 blah. Right. Mm -hmm. So. At the end of our reading time, she said to me, from now on, you're moving up to the higher level reading group. Because I guess she understood if I could correct all the other students, that maybe I needed to be in the higher reading group. Right. And what I loved about that is because she saw me, Angela. She didn't just say, now there were other students of color in that reading group as well, but she could have said, I'm going to just keep you in that class because bringing this forward to my children again, when one of my daughters was in the higher reading group for her school, the next year when some other students came over from a school that closed down, mm -hmm. they then put those students in a higher level reading group. And some of the students who had been, they moved them to just a regular reading group. Oh. Hey, well, these students had more experience than you all did. How dare they? But I digress, right? <laughs> this stuff happens all the time. Right. And the point in me sharing both of those stories to say, Miss Ray, who was a white woman, didn't just go with the flow and the zeitgeist of the time and say, we're going to leave this black child in the lower level reading class. Right. And, and advocating for racism is about what you do day in and day out. And that's what she did. And I'm going to jump in and say what we do day in and day out is the stuff that's lost to history. That's right. That's so right. we got five of your little classmates. Well, I mean, your grown classmates together to talk about Miss Ray, it would be a great contribution to, you know, what really did happen in Mississippi education in whatever decade that was yes. and yes. what a difference she made over the whole community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing that. I, I really appreciate the story and it allowed me to give this little blip about how important she was. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then third grade, um, you went to fourth grade and had an eh teacher. And then in fifth grade, you had Miss Newman and you marked her as one of your big influences as well. I did. And Miss Newman was also a white woman. And Angela, I think it's important to say that fourth grade experience that was eh, was a black woman. 
And I say, I, I say that because I want us to understand that we have to work across the lines racially. Mm-hmm. And there are some people out here who are white mm-hmm. who are going to help you. There are people who are black who are going to help you. And there are people who are black who are not going to. And there are people who are white who are not going to. But we have to be able to see the hand that's extended towards us. And so my fifth grade teacher was Miss Newman. Love, 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 Miss Newman. And why did I love Miss Newman? Again, because she treated all of us like we were human. And what she did for us girls, now this was, you could never do this today, but she asked us who wanted to learn how to crochet. So we brought our little crochet needles in. They'd probably be considered a weapon now, so you can't bring them oh, in. Right. So we brought our crochet needles in. And during recess, she taught all of us how to crochet. And I just remember the loving way in which she interacted with us. She did not make us feel less than. She didn't make us feel stupid if we didn't know anything. She was always encouraging. Um, you know, you know, we always think that there's a favorite or or there's a teacher's pet, but I don't know that she had one necessarily. But we do know that there was one student, and we all knew he was the smartest student. Mark Williams was the <laughs> smartest student in the class. There's no doubt about it. So if she called on him, she was calling on him because he was the smartest student in the in the class. And so I can say that with without any any judgment because she also made the rest of us know that we were smart, at least from where I stood, she did. And so I I just want to add that even in Mississippi, during a time where, you know, racism is, was, it was the norm and is the norm. I think racism in this country is the norm. People just don't believe it is. But I never got that from her. I never got that we're supposed to be different because we're black. I, in fact, I even have another teacher I can think of in the seventh grade. Never got that from her either. So, and it seems like you were set up by your community to believe in your self worth in a way that you could allow that to happen in school, right? It seems like a continuation to me. Exactly, because I'm going to tell you something, Angela. Even to this day, no one can tell me who I am. Because I know who I am and I know whose I am because of what was poured into me. I know supreme love, divine love. I know human love. And no one can tell me anything differently. And that's what sacred intelligence is all about. Tapping into that part of you where you can feel the presence of, of, of what's holy and sacred in your life. There's a lot of crap that's going to happen to us in life. And you can choose whether you're going to let that take you backwards or you can choose to say, but I still rise because of the people who've helped to raise me up. It may not be your mother, your father, your grandpa. It may not be those people, but who are the people we can look at in our lives? Who are the people we can look at in history who said, I am more than what you're calling me to be. Yes, I'm going to let you go ahead and answer. I know, I'm sorry, we got to go to break. But when we come back, I'm going to ask you again about what you mean when you say, I know whose I am. Don't answer me now. We'll get the answer when we come back. Okay. Hey, everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Are you a conscious co-creator? 
Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Okay, we're back. I'm your guest host for the week, Angela L. Todd. I'm an archivist and a historian specializing in women's history and that of historically excluded populations. And we're talking with Dr. Terilyn L. Curry Avery today about who made her what and who she is. And before the break, I wanted to go back to, and I've heard you say this for years. I think we've been friends and colleagues for a decade and you say, I know whose I am. And I want to, I want you to say a few words about that because I understood it one way all these years. And then today I feel like I have a new understanding of what that means. Ah, well, it basically means that I am a child of God. I am the manifestation of God. I am a divine being. And as long as I understand that I am enclosed in that love, you can't tell me who I am because like it, it, it's 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 almost inexplicable sometimes because I because that community raised me so much to believe in God despite what was happening in the world right and that's, that's the thing that's yeah. the thing that people have to understand it's like remember who you are and if I know that I'm more than this skin color that I am a soul being that's connected to something greater then I don't have to give in to the lies that the world tells me. And so whenever I say whose I am, it just means that me and God like this, there's no separation for me and God. I am made in the likeness of God. I'm made in divinity. I, I, when God looked upon me, just like God looked upon everybody else, that, that God said that there's a certain reverence in you. There's a scripture that says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's what I hold on to right there. So that's what I mean about whose I am. And on top of that, I am also Elmira and LQ's daughter. And, and you're I am the, you're the a great, child of Holly Springs, right? I'm a and child of Holly of Springs. The church and the school that's and the right. continuum of love around that's those, right. the that's children right. in that neighborhood. That's right. And 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 again, being a child of LQ and Elmira Curry, and then my my ancestors, you know, my grandparents, which we can talk about next week. Like, I know who I come from. I'm their kid. I'm their child. And so there's a certain way because I'm their child that I must show up in the world. Yeah, I love that. So we've been through the church neighborhood uh, continuum, and we talked about some important teachers that have been uh, helpful in shaping you and helping you rise up. And I wonder if you want to say a um, now you went to a lot of post-secondary schools. I don't know if we have time to talk about them all. <laughs> I know that Only have... five, Angela. <laughs> we had a good talk about your, um, your PhD committee and your Yale advisors or professors that you really spoke highly of. And then after we do that, I'm going to ask you for some tips at the end. So let her rip. Terrible. Well, we, we we only have so much time, so we might have I'm to pick it up. the clock. We might have to pick it up. So before we go to my PhD program, I want to start by Howard University because I'm a mm-hmm. bison okay. and I went to a historically black college and university. Yeah, those women and professors 
really um, my, you know, so my community was the foundation and they really just drove it home. And that's when I could learn about Mary McLeod Bethune and all those other individuals. So I felt extremely supported and I understood that those professors, while they were there to um, nurture me academically and hold Mm -hmm. me to a high standard, because they were going to kick my butt if I didn't know stuff, I also felt like there was a love and support there as well, because they weren't going to let me slide. That was the thing. And that is the love. That that is the love because yeah. Angela, I also knew that I was representing my community, not just the community of Waterford, Mississippi, but I was representing the African American community, and those professors had high standards of me. Mm-hmm. So they were an extension of my community. So I think it's important okay. to say that they were yes. an extension of that. And I think anybody that goes to an HBCU, especially during that time, you knew that they were an extension. Don't come to school acting like you don't have any sense. That's it. That because because you do you wouldn't mm-hmm. be here if you didn't. So that's the first thing. My alma mater, the the, the number one HBCU, right? Yes. Yep. Then when I uh, well, I'll skip over this. I went to another school and got a master's before the PhD program. But I will say <laughs> this: in my PhD program, my dissertation committee, the uh, advisor that I had, Dr. Norwida Milburn. Uh, was an African-American woman. And I think I shared this with you. She's the only person in my life who ever intimidated me. She was tough. She was absolutely tough, but she had, again, high expectations of me. (laughs) And when I had to change something on my form as you're trying to get this dissertation together, they make you write and rewrite and rewrite. And she's like, Terrell, I wouldn't ask you to do it if I didn't think you could do it, but you can do it. And so she kept pushing me more and more and more. So my dissertation committee was made up of a Black woman, a Japanese woman, a Colombian, and then I had two males, two Black males on my committee. And when I left the room after I defended my dissertation, they said, Terrell is brave. But I was brave because my community had already, in addition to my family, who we'll talk about next week, They'd already taught me who I could be and what I could do. And then, of course, I walk with God all the time, right? I knew that they weren't going to let me get away with not being the best. And I need to be the best in order to, especially as a Black woman, because no one is going to necessarily give me anything, right? So I knew that they needed to hold me to those high standards. Those were the women who I really loved and adored. And then even as I went on, to get my uh, master's of divinity, there were also women who supported me as well on the journey. We have four minutes. I've Uh just been alerted. So we've talked about your community in different ways all the way through this show today. And I, I know that they taught you how to build communities. And one of the things I love about you is how you do build community wherever you go. Can you give us three tips? For building so, communities? Yes. Yeah, so so real quick, communities have to tr- to create a place of safety. Mm-hmm. I felt no safe in, in all of those communities. I felt safe because I felt that they wanted the best for me, that they heard me, and that they saw me. So if we want to build community, just like what I'm teaching my classes, building that community is helping people to feel safe enough with me that they will talk about racism, that they will talk about their own racism. People aren't going to do that if they don't feel safe. The second thing is, is to lead with love. Yes, I lead with love with every single thing that I do. Because when people say crazy stuff, I've gotten better. I don't react. I respond from a place of love and go to my higher self. And the third thing is, and there are slots more, but I know we're running out of time. The third thing is, is to build trust, to be consistent with my word. Don't say one thing and then do something different. That's who I am. So it's about creating security and safety, love, and then trust. That's wonderful. 
that's wonderful. And, and some of them depend on each other, right? So if you're in, the, and I know that you create a safe place in the coaching and private work that you do so that people can come to that space with love and they know that it's an agreement, right? On your side and their side that we're all, I always say there's no them, there's only us. And so we're all in this together and we're all safe and trying our best, even if it gets awkward and uncomfortable. Right, right. Because love can hold you through the discomfort. Right. That's important. That's very important. So we're coming to the end of our time together. This has been a delight. And I do hope that you put the recording of our interview in your archive. (laughs) I will definitely do that, Angela. You um, have been a supreme, supreme guest host. And I love the fact that you are a historian who helps me to remember as well, you know, because you pull out the questions that need to be asked in order for me to remember my history in such a way, because I have it. I have people that I remember and you bring out even more in the questioning. So thank you so much for being a guest on my show today. I do hope people now, Angela, how can people get in touch with you real quick? Oh, uh, my website is Angela L Todd.com. You can email me Angela at Angela L Todd.com. I'm on Instagram. I'm around. I'm everywhere. Yes. And you'll see more of her next week when she comes back to the show to help me really kind of unearth how my family of origin has made me who I am. Thank you so much to our listeners today. Please stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz. Thank you again, Angela Todd. And may today you tap into that sacred part of you that allows you to make choices that manifest the good in you and those around you. Know that we are all one and exist because of one another. Make it a priority to share love, hope, compassion, and peace today. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time, bye for now. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. on edge hey we live in challenging edgy times so let's lean in i'm sandra bargeman the host of the edge of every day which airs each monday at 7 p.m eastern time on talkradio.nyc tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges that's the edge of every day on mondays at 7 p.m eastern time on talkradio.nyc Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us.
passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 